Hello, and welcome back to Soulful Conversations. I am your host, Dr. Christine Coleman, founder and executive director at nonprofit Soul Sisters, Inc. I'm so excited to have Sahar Martinez, licensed marriage and family therapist, on with us today. Sahar is going to help us navigate some heavy yet extremely helpful information regarding our mental health and well-being that has been affected this past year. We are now in 2020 and we're seeing how a new light is ahead of us. You know, we're, we're getting better at managing the pandemic collectively. We're getting vaccinated. We're getting information and research that is just being released more and more. So we are seeing a light at the end of the tunnel and yet so many of us have been impacted beyond comprehension with our mental and emotional health. And so Sahar is here offering her expertise to us on how we can continue to navigate and process our mental health as well as help others on this journey. We as women in particular have been holding so much and so it is going to be incredibly valuable to hear Sahar's message to all the women here listening. Thank you again to all for continuing to be supporters of Soul Sisters Inc.'s work. We miss you. We hope we can see you soon. But until then, thank you for supporting our podcast, our online and social media efforts. Please continue to follow us on Instagram at Soul, S-O-L, Sisters Org. On Facebook, you can find us by searching Soul Sisters Inc. And our website is soulsisters.org. Let's dive into it. Everyone, welcome so, uh, to the show. We are so excited to have Sahar Martinez with us. Sahar is um, SoCal-based, which is awesome to be continuing to expand our network of amazing women, uh, people particularly in the mental health field that I'm extremely passionate about because that is my background as well. So uh, Sahar is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And Sahar, we're just so grateful to have you with us. If you wouldn't mind, before we jump into some questions on this topic of the mental health impacts and healing our mental and emotional parts of ourselves of all we've carried through 2020 up until now, I would love to for you to tell us a bit more about yourself before we get into it. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Christine. I am Sahar Martinez. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I specialize in working with couples and in maternal mental health. And I'm currently actually working on my dissertation about uh, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders in women of color. So I'm really, really excited to be here talking with you. Outside of that, I have a podcast. I'm a professor of cultural diversity and I'm a mom and yeah. Amazing, amazing. So <laughs> inspirational, so moving. I love it. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. And again, just for our listeners, we're going to be diving into some questions that pertain to what Sahar is seeing in her clients and around her and her work, maybe even your students. Sahar, what are you gathering um, mm-hmm. from people's mental health impacts that they've experienced this past year? I think we can all collectively say we have experienced a mental health. Oh, impact, yeah. Right. So uh, my first question for you really is just, can you give me an overall idea of what you're noticing about the mental health impact on the people you're serving both in your practice as well as in the academic setting? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what I am seeing the most of is collective trauma. Like we have all experienced this um, trauma together. And I think often when we think about trauma, it has to be this the word that comes up immediately is like a catastrophic event, but that's what happened. Like COVID in a lot of ways has been a long, it's been almost a year long catastrophic event that has uprooted all of our lives. And so the thing that I'm seeing most is this 
feeling of collective trauma while also being incredibly isolated. So it's like this, this marriage between isolation, but also this knowingness that we're all going through this thing together in a lot of ways. Um, So I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing a lot of reconnecting to past traumas. And I'm also like the kind of the silver lining piece of it is seeing a lot of resilience, Mm. which has been a really nice part of this. This like, wow, I didn't think that I would be here in this way now. And I am, and I feel really good about that. Oh, those are such amazing three overarching points that you brought up. Are there any that you want to expand? Actually, I'm going to say, I'm curious to hear about all three of them, but particularly the part that you mentioned of uh, uh, going back to some historic trauma. Can you expand on that just a bit? Sure. So this was, uh, even as a clinician, it was unexpected for me that this came up for a lot of people. Um, I would say probably almost every client. So because I work largely in like the perinatal community, a lot of the women that I work with who had in their, in their minds and in their day-to-day experience felt like they had healed from their experiences of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. When we went into stay-at-home orders, when we went into lockdown, when we went into essentially isolating with the people that you live with, for a lot of them, it took them right back to where they were when they had just had babies and they were stuck at home and they had these feelings of loneliness and isolation, Right. So in that community, that's what I saw a lot of, but even not in that community, Mm -hmm. people who had experienced traumas before were like, I'm having all of the same reactions that I was having when my trauma had presently happened. Mm -hmm. I'm having them again now. And I think it's because when COVID happened, there was a complete loss of control for people. There was like, all of a sudden, I don't have a job. My kids are out of school. I don't know what tomorrow holds next week holds next month holds. And the last time that I felt this way in my life was when I was going through a really challenging season. And so it was like this, this re-traumatization, but having a hard time connecting it to, oh, because I am currently experiencing a traumatic event, I'm currently in it. Mm-hmm. It's resurfacing all of the things that I thought that I had already worked through. Wow. But that's the stuff that's trauma, right? It's like, even we can do all the work around it and it can still resurface surface. Yes. And talk about, you know, um, the catastrophic event that you mentioned and and bringing all those things up and then having this catastrophe just be ongoing and not having an end in sight. Mm -hmm. I just picture people who are experiencing the trauma that you're mentioning and and having that re-upped again, and then just not really knowing when, when the collective part of it, right. The collective meaning, I know that you mean about people but just as overarching is probably better with this overarching um cloud that we're all navigating and there yeah. are a couple of of these clouds that we're that we navigated in 2021 <laughs> the pandemic we also saw a tremendous uh, racial uprising racial unrest uh you mentioned i, I love following your instagram page just your work with anti-racism mm-hmm. and, and and devotion to this work through your practice. And it seems also just like through you as a person, yeah. which is wonderful. Uh, and then also the, the political, sociopolitical issues that went on too. So can you tell me what you think, given those three overarching things, as well as maybe some personal things mm-hmm. that you saw your clients and people you serve going through, what do you think are the main challenges people are going through given, given all that they're holding? So the, the very first thing is access to care access to care. I mean, so we're in a time 
where there is a political uprising, a social justice uprising, there is, you know, a racial justice uprising, re- resurgence, let's say it's never been, it's never gone away. It's just coming back up again, coupled with this global pandemic, coupled with people being out of work, people not having resources, people not having the capacity to even say, I am feeling things that I'm not okay with feeling. I need to get help, right? You can identify sometimes that I need, I could, I'm not feeling great, but it's taking that step to saying, how do I even access care right now when I can't even leave my house? How can I access care right now when I don't feel safe leaving my house mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons, depending on where you live and what you look like and how you move through the world. Mm-hmm. So I think access to care is the first one. Yeah. I think on a more basic level, there's like Zoom burnout. We're doing everything online. You know, I teach online. I see my clients online. I do supervision online. My kids were doing school online. At some point, it's like, I don't know if I can add one more thing. And then beyond that is time. So in this, it's like we're all having to juggle so much more than we've ever had to. I think both in a physical sense, but also in a mental sense. I know for me, it's like the mental burnout of it. I often feel like I don't have any more time to expend anywhere, especially when it comes to myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I have heard a lot, especially with clients who are more recently coming to therapy now that we're almost a year into the pandemic, now that it's been over six months since the Black Lives Matter movement had the resurgence. It's like, oh, I didn't have the time to come until now. And then oftentimes they'll stop and be like, but all I've had is time because I've literally haven't left my house, right. but it's making space for the time for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Those are such great points. And so they resonate with me, you know, just thinking about all that I'm juggling, the things that you mentioned that you juggled too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, this is not quite something I had planned to ask you, but I'm curious about you, if you don't mind sharing a bit of your personal self, you as a healer, as an advocate and activist, what are you noticing in your own self and clinicians like you, especially as women of color, that um, that you're holding this year? You know, I think that there is, a, I, I will say, I feel like I am in a, in a unique position and that I am a woman of color. I identify as a woman of color. And my experience is much different than my friends and colleagues and family who are Black people of color. And so there feels like there is a responsibility for me that I want to take some of the weight off of them in the sense of being available to people who have questions or um, having conversations or putting myself out there in a way so that, you know, the people that I care about maybe have to do it a little bit less. And with that comes, I found, especially around June, there was this feeling of I don't know how much longer I can do this the way that I am doing it because it was, you know, being present on social media, being present in my real life, being present for my clients, my students, my family, my friends. Mm -hmm. And then it would be like, Oh, this person who used to be friends with my husband's friend of a friend is like reaching out to me to say, can we have a conversation about this thing at nine o'clock at night? And I was like, yeah, let's do that. And there, so I had to get to a point where I had to recognize my own burnout because it was like, I can sustain this maybe for a few more weeks and then I'm out. Mm-hmm. Or I have to really reconnect to what my goals are and how I feel about this and say that this is not something that I can burn out on because I feel too passionately about it. Mm-hmm. So it means that I have to make it sustainable for myself. Right. So it was about setting boundaries. It was about identifying those feelings and setting boundaries. I don't have to have a conversation with every single person who wants to have a conversation with me or feel safe enough to come to me instead of going to a place where they get they might get called out more harshly than I might. 
um, call them out. And so it wasn't identifying those spaces and saying, wait, no, like my time is also important and my rest is also important because this is not something that is going to go away tomorrow. And I want to make sure that moving forward, like the world is a better place for my kids and my nephews and my nieces and for myself and my parents. And that happens with longevity and sustainability. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And I really appreciate your breakdown of being a woman of color and being a non-Black woman of color. Mm -hmm. I think that differentiation is becoming, has been, but especially in this day and age where the Black Lives Matter brought about so much focus on racial discrepancies, discrimination, and just all down to all all together white supremacy and what our country is rooted in. And also the ability to notice that people of color are all not one in the same. Mm -hmm. And it challenges me to continue to be up on the latest language, the most inclusive language, the most inclusive and Uh, respectful and just correct approach to addressing racial justice. And so you naming that you're a woman of color and you're carrying your own things because these multi-layered stressors are on you too, Mm -hmm. are also a different fight and a different weight for you compared to that of Black people and maybe even specifically Black women. Yes. Really appreciate you breaking that down. And I hope that that's the direction we continue to go as well. Just being more aware and mindful about the differentiation between people of color's experiences, especially related to this country and the racial unrest and complete, uh, you know, just reformation or even, you know, I don't even know what the correct word would be, just a complete transformation Mm -hmm. in the way that we operate in this country. Right. I mean, we're not a monolith, right? It's not just like, we're people of color. We're all the same. (laughs) Even in like, I mean, I, my parents are immigrants from Iran. Mm -hmm. And so my experience as being the child of immigrants from Iran, having, I was born here, I grew up here, but being very deeply rooted within their culture and their ethnicity and like the, the shared beauties of that is very different than friends or of mine who are from other parts of that world, of the world, you know? like friends who are from Turkey, whose families are from Turkey or from Dubai or other parts in the Middle East, mm-hmm. you know, which is even like, even the term Middle East is problematic, but let's just go with it for yeah. now, you know? But it's like, so if we're going to identify that we're all different in the beautiful ways that we're all different, we also have to identify the ways that we are different and the challenges that we face. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that. And so with that said, oh, what are you... What are you noticing specific to Black, Indigenous, people of color's mental health during this time? Overwhelm. So much overwhelm. Yeah. I think finally we're having these conversations about how overwhelming it is, how um, to function in this world, to move through this world as a Black, Indigenous person of color, Right. right? On so many different levels. So in a clinical setting, I can, like I ha, I supervise a handful of white clinicians who, when George Floyd was murdered, were working with black clients. And so it was a lot of addressing, how do you address this with your client as a white person right. sitting with a, a black person of color? How are you addressing this in session with them? Because you have to, yes. you can't ignore that this is happening. Right. And so it was this, you know, it was the same theme over and over again. It's this overwhelm of, I don't really know how to think, feel, talk, 
explore what is happening right now again, mm-hmm. you know, again, mm-hmm. to people that look like me, to people that I know, to people that I love, to, you know, to the mirror of my family, but also this, um, I don't know if this was your experience with a lot of my friends. It was this like flooding of all these people reaching out to them, asking them if they were okay. People like they hadn't talked to in years. Mm -hmm. And I saw it coming up with clients too, where it's like, oh, but now I'm also the token of like, oh, I have this friend that's black from sixth grade. I'm going to reach out to them and see how they're doing. And I think that was also overwhelming in the sense of like, no, I don't want to be this person for you either. Like you don't get to check in on me now because it's quote unquote trendy to say like, oh, I checked in on my black friend that I haven't talked to in 10 years. Right. So I think it's this, there's a general sense of deep, deep overwhelm that I think has been there for a long time that has finally been, it's finally being acknowledged by the whole, like by other people. It's so true. So my husband is a black man and Mm -hmm. we have multiracial and multi-ethnic children. And during that time, I can recall, I was, I was very, very much worked up and emotional on all counts and uh, protective and just all the emotions that came up wanting to be an ally and Mm -hmm. also feeling incredibly vulnerable and just just tender for him and my family and our extended family and uh, I remember even posting something like is out of anger like where Mm -hmm. are all of you like you're so quiet, right? Why are you not checking on us? And, and a couple people did maybe as a result of my call out, maybe not. And my husband, who's a very even keel person in general, you know, I, I was kind of the more like worked up one, like, mm-hmm. what do you need? What do you want? What do I got to do? You know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here. And, yeah. and he mentioned exactly what you were saying. It's overwhelming on all counts. I don't know if I can handle all of this support. I don't know if that's even what it is. And on the other hand, I also can't handle all this re, re-traumatization that is happening to me and my people over and over and over again. Right. So it's this, for lack of better terms, it's this awkward place to be on my part where I want to do good and I'm also being protective. I'm also trying to fall back a bit. Like this is mm-hmm. not your place. It's like sit down in some areas too. And so, so with that said, I really appreciate you putting words to that in that it's just a lot and the overwhelm, what I think I gathered, especially when being in community with black folks is it's their journeys and they can be wherever they need to be and yes. call upon whatever they want to do and be in these times. And I, I think that is, it's so empowering to have, to see people take their stance in that sense, mm-hmm. whether they want to educate or whether they don't have anything to do with educating or and any of those things. So I definitely saw that come about in my personal life. Yeah. As well. You know, it's a, it's, you bring up a, such an interesting point in the sense that like when any other kind of trauma outside of racial trauma, we allow the people experiencing that trauma to determine how they want to move through that. Right. So it's, you can talk about it if you want, but you don't have to, you can, we give them autonomy in it. Right. When it comes to racial trauma, because it is so, I'm just going to say it like it is because people are so afraid of being called racist. Yeah. They keep their hands off and they don't acknowledge that this is not a one-time thing. This is centuries, 400 plus years of generational trauma that people are just now kind of starting to unpack some people Mm -hmm. 
if they're able to access it in that way. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be one march. It's not going to be one check-in call. It's not going to be... It's not your black square. <laughs> yeah. It's not your black square. It's not that cool hat you bought off Instagram. Mm. It's not how many accounts you follow. It's none of that. Right. And so if we're not going to give people autonomy, if we're not going to give Black folks, the Black community, the autonomy to determine how they want to move through this and how they want to process... And instead, we want to put all the responsibility responsibility on them to collectively educate us. Mm-hmm. Like that is re-traumatization over and over and over again. That is, it's unfair. Yeah, absolutely. It lacks compassion. It lacks empathy. It lacks any. It lacks any way that we would treat any other person who has experienced any kind of trauma. I love that parallel. I never thought about it like that before, but it's so true. What would we do if a friend had experienced a traumatic event? We would probably be so sensitive and it would probably also be a very individualized lens to like, what do you as the person I care about need in this moment? Mm-hmm. And how can I support you? How can I support you? Yeah. And maybe even not with such like a saviorism type of context either. I don't know. I guess it's dependent, but yeah. most of the time it's like, if you're a friend and you care about this person, and they've gone through something very horrible. You want to show up to be a support system however you can but that's what you show up right that's the difference that's is that you show up to like here I am and I'm gonna take it on and look mm-hmm. at me and you know it's it's a very very different approach but rooted on the same foundation of trauma sure. completely wow that blew my mind thank you so yeah. much for naming that so if we zoom out for a moment, because our soul sisters is, is so unique because we do have such great diversity in our, in our community of, of women of color, of LGBTQ women. It's a very live, uh, real-time type of intersectional community that we have. So when we zoom out and we consider uh, gender-based uh, challenges. Uh, I know that you've mentioned some already re- regarding mothers uh, of, mm-hmm. of, in any stage. You've mentioned women of color, both Black and otherwise. What do you think you would say that you're noticing that is is just completely, like you mentioned, overwhelming, challenging to women as a whole? Again, I know that we're so women are so yeah. individualized and, and different in their own ways, but is there any context that you have for us that you're noticing about the gender-specific type of, of, of challenges? Yeah, so I think when, in regards to the pandemic, it has been incredibly challenging for women specifically because I think as women were socialized to be, like to be the primary caretaker of the home in a lot of ways and so a lot of the women that I work with who are working they're working part-time full-time whatever also feel this responsibility to have to take care of the home in the same way that they would if they weren't working right and so now we have a pandemic everybody is at home and so these roles are shifting and maybe they look different and there is a loss of that ritual or routine that happens. Mm -hmm. And with that loss of the ritual or routine, sometimes comes a loss of identity in the sense of I was working and now I'm at home or I was working and I lost my job or I would take care of the home in this way. And I don't do that anymore because now my partner is home or maybe my kids are home and they're doing more or we don't need things done in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there has been a large like loss of identity that has happened during this time that it's hard to access how to find that again, both in like the, the roles, but also in the ways that we care for ourselves prior to COVID. Yeah. 
you know, because we've lost, like, there's just a collective sense of loss. Absolutely. You know, I used to love going to the gym before COVID. And that was like my, my time that I didn't have to parent and I didn't have to work. And I had 10 minutes alone in the car each way. And I could, you know, had an hour at the gym and that was my thing. And that was gone. Like very quickly that was gone. Exactly. I was just going to mention, I'm not sure if you were aware of the article that David Kessler, the interview that David Kessler, he is known for his work around the five stages of grief and um, was, a, I guess, a protege of, I'm blanking on her name now, Elizabeth. Oh gosh, she's the, the main person who came up with the five stages of grief originally, but I, I'm assuming that David is her predecessor. Anyway, he updated the five stages of grief that is often used in mental health and understanding loss, especially when it comes to literal loss of loved ones and people, mm-hmm. people who are cared for. He added the five stages of grief to be integrated into the pandemic and really just kind of modified it to be reflective of that. I thought it was so interesting, but what I will say, and that's, I could share that at a later time, actually we have a podcast about that for, for our Soul Sisters listeners. But the point of me sharing this is that uh, David Kessler added a sixth stage and that was around role loss. So you mm-hmm. reminded me of that because, you know, we see kind of the, the bargaining and the depression and, and the different stages that we're all going through of, of just this collective grief that you mentioned, collective trauma. And then the sixth one that he added was that role loss that we've mm-hmm. now lost the sense of being the person who picks up the kids from school, the one who takes the kids to their dance classes, the one who goes to you know, fill up the car with gas or whatever it is, or I'm the one who gets up in the, uh, goes to pick up grandma for dinner or whatever it is. There, there's certain roles that we've just not been able to engage in as much this year. So to hear that um, related to women is also incredibly powerful because it is true for, for reasons beyond us, we have, we take on a lot and are expected to do a lot and to be a lot. And so to have, context around the roles and role loss and even that me time loss uh that is that's incredibly crucial I'm hearing yeah I mean it's really like it's how I think for myself I don't want to speak for anybody else for myself I have created so much meaning around the roles that I occupy in my life and the spaces that I occupy in my life that when the pandemic happened and a lot of that was taken away and the way that I was accustomed to moving through it I had to really step back and say okay, so what is the actual meaning behind all of this? And how does that play into how I feel about myself and who I am and what my actual needs are? Am I just leaning into routines because it's easy to lean into routines? Or have I kind of handed my the meaning that I make of myself into these spaces? And now that I've lost them, I don't really know what that what I mean anymore. Mm, wow, Absolutely. This year alone, just on a, on a personal note, I decided to hire a personal trainer. I had the means to do it. I know not everybody does. My personal trainer has been amazing because she's incredibly holistic and helped me look at a lot of the unhealthy mindsets that I had um, mm-hmm. emotionally around food and fitness and all those things. And uh, I'm part of various groups and I get to connect with women like you. And those things have been so life-giving to me and I'm just so thankful for them I recognize that people are essential workers are juggling so many things where self-care is just what a luxury you know Mm -hmm. I don't have time to even think about that I have I lost my job I'm trying to make it by you know I I, the the amount of 
of sorrow and sadness that people are carrying and experiencing so many things that are out of their hands. It's just, it, 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 it causes my heart to break over and over again. Yeah. Uh, just talk about privilege, you know, talk about privilege that so many of us have and also recognizing that just so many people, especially in marginalized communities of various mm-hmm. sorts, just do not, you mentioned access earlier with mental health. I mean, the access is, is huge and the means to do it. So, yeah. so when we think about self-care during these times and taking in to consideration, you know, the different parts of what we're carrying, right? Financial mm-hmm. loss, uh, loss of help with children, loss of free time. What do you think are practical self-care practices that women, our audience, people can consider during these times? I, lo- I love this question because I have a lot of feelings about self-care. I, I talk a lot about self-care because I think it's really, really important. And I think that the, the phrase self-care has been co-opted Completely. by the <laughs> welcome to my TED talk. Yes. Uh, it has been co-opted <laughs> by like the health and wellness industry to mean something that it actually isn't. Right. And in doing so, it has taken away from people who feel like they cannot access it. When really like the act of caring for ourselves is very simple. Mm-hmm. It's very, very simple. And this is what I tell my clients when they'll say like, I, I can't, I can't take, I can't do self-care. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do self-care? Well, I can't, like, I can't go to a day spa right now. I can't go to brunch with my friends. I can't. And I was like, okay, those are things that you can't do, but tell me how, tell me about how you're caring for yourself. Right. right. And I'm usually met with like a blank look. Like I, I just told you, what do you mean? My self-care on a lot of days is feeling sun on my skin. Right. Exactly. You know, it's meditating. It's checking in with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's drinking a warm cup of tea because I can sit there and I can savor what that feels like on a cold morning and how it warms my insides. It's nourishing myself. It's nourishing myself emotionally, physically, socially, sexually, however I feel like I need to be nourished. Mm -hmm. And so I think implementing self-care is really stepping back and saying, what is it that I need? How do I need to nourish myself? And what can I do to do that? And so when I work with clients and they'll say, well, my self-care was working out. Okay. So what is it that you liked about working out? Well, I liked how I felt afterwards. What is it that you liked about it's just stripping it down? Right. You know, what is it that you liked? Did you like the fact that you were sweating? Did you like the fact that you were around other people? Did you like the fact that you exerted yourself? I mean, you can still do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You're so spot on. And I'm so glad that you said that too, because I'm right there with you. I've heard my clients, I heard in my dissertation work when I was researching and interviewing my participants, there was a lot of focus on my work around self-care for uh, activists. That's mm-hmm. what my topic was on. Oh, so and good. Really, and the really cool part to hear, especially pertaining to, to these women who were intersectional act, uh, feminist activists, was turning their screens off because they couldn't... Mm-hmm. They couldn't take in a lot of the world's issues at that moment and not feeling guilty about it when they do, because they know the movement's going to be there when they, then they recharge and come right back. Right. It's, uh, it's tapping into spiritual health and prayer and meditation and just taking some breaths uh, for the larger communities that I I serve. Similar. A lot of my Mm -hmm. clients have been like self-care. What is that? You know, it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me, but also understandable that self-care has become um, a very monetized 
just uh, almost even like elitist type of type of approach to caring for oneself. Um, you mentioned it earlier, and I say this to my clients a lot too, like your boundaries are your self-care. Saying mm-hmm. no is caring for yourself and re-energizing, revitalizing all that you have uh, within you so that you can keep on charging on, you know? Yeah. So boundaries are the ultimate self-care. Ultimate. It all comes back to boundaries. <laughs> I love boundaries. It's, they're not hard. They're not easy. Excuse they're me. They're not easy. But man, they, when you, I'm telling you, I know you'll agree with me so hard. When you get in the rhythm of it, I, I don't know if it can turn back. Honestly, yeah. no. I mean, you can't. When you get in the rhythm of it, it's very. It becomes very easy to be like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> boundary, boundary, boundary. You know, like it's like I, yeah. But it's hard. Again, like these things are so interconnected. Like boundaries for me like in my culture like they're non-existent right you know we come from a collectivistic culture you don't set boundaries you do as you're told you serve the family and so it is really challenging to honor the things that I love about my cultural heritage but also honor who I am as an individual and what's best for me and my my now nuclear family with my partner and our kids Yes. Oh, I love that you mentioned that because, you know, I'm sure this is a whole other podcast, but you know, the, the, the topic of setting boundaries is as it relates to self-care, let's just leave it at that, mm-hmm. right? can be challenging for so many reasons, including focus on the self, especially when cultural roots tell you otherwise. Yes. So thank you for saying that because I think that's going to be helpful for listeners to consider how do I still honor my culture and what is expected of me and what I can do and actually want to do. Some people find great joy in the collectivistic approach to their family and otherwise mm-hmm. at the same time to also lean into one's particular needs right um, that's beautiful I love that so as we wrap up you know we talked about amazing difficult but amazing things today and I certainly appreciate all of your wisdom and expertise share with us your top five. I'm really eager to hear how you'll break down top five suggestions for women to prioritize their mental health that you've learned or that you've embraced in both your academic background, professional background, and just you as an amazing person. Sure. Um, I guess my number one would be connecting with yourself mm-hmm. and like really just checking in with who you are and what you need and making those connections in order to be able to communicate them out to other people and express them meditation would be my number two. Like meditation has been life-changing for me. I cannot tell you how many times I, in, in my work, but also for myself, like I'll catch my clients holding their breath or yeah. I'll catch myself holding my breath. And I'll be like, why am I doing that? And with meditation, I've really learned to like reconnect back into my breath and into myself and be more present, mm-hmm. um, which has been really nice. Beautiful. Yeah, I think especially for women, releasing shame and guilt, especially for moms, especially for women, it doesn't serve a purpose. It serves no purpose, you know, and this is what I talk to with clients a lot when they talk about like the mom guilt or shame or I ask them, okay, so what does that, what does that serve for you? Everything serves a purpose in your life. Everything should serve a purpose in your life. So what purpose does that serve other than just making you feel bad about yourself? And it doesn't serve a purpose. And so releasing that. Number four, probably my favorite, is stop apologizing. Yes, say that again. Stop apologizing. I. (laughs) We don't have to apologize for our existence. Mm. We don't, you know? And so stop apologizing. I now like have gotten into the habit of rereading emails that I send to see where I am making myself small 
in those emails. So things like just wanted to, no, no, just, I don't need to. I delete my justs more Mm -hmm. often now than ever. And I recognize that you're so right. Yeah. Or like, I'm so sorry sorry for taking up your time. Yeah. Sorry to bother you. No, no, no. I don't need to apologize for my existence. And so stop apologizing. It's bad for our mental health. Right. Yeah. We don't need to make ourselves small in a room, Mm. in any room. Mm -hmm. And then I guess the last one is just embracing the wholeness of who we are. You know, there is the good, the bad, whatever it's, we need to embrace the wholeness of who we are. There is a, we have gone through, we have gone through a lot in the last year, but we're here and we're resilient and we're powerful and we have purpose and meaning and we need to embrace all of that. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Those are so spot on. They're (laughs) going to help so many people because they're certainly helping me already. Oh, Sahar, you are a gift. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Everything has been so wonderful today. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I could do this for like another five hours. <laughs> oh, I wish we could too. Before I let you go, though, I do have some rapid fire questions for you sure. because we need some fun in our lives. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you these and you did not get a chance to think about them. So okay. whatever comes to mind. Okay? Great. All right. Favorite music artist? Oh, Notorious B.I.G. Oh, I love it. Okay. I don't know why I just got so excited. Biggie's so good. Great artist, artist, exactly. First thing you want to do when the pandemic is behind us? Hug people. I want to hug everybody. Like just big bear hugs. I love that. Yes. One food you cannot live without? Tacos. (laughs) Tacos and tachin. Like... Tachin, if you, for those of you who are not Persian, is like the crispy rice at the bottom of the pot. That is like Persians are very, for the most part, like they will just, they're very, uh, like they're serving people, like take everything we have except for tachin. It's like a fight in the kitchen over tachin. So tacos and tachin. Yum. Beautiful. One thing you do to clear your mind? Uh, I meditate. Meditate. Okay. Got yeah. you. The last one is one thing that makes you laugh until your stomach hurts. My youngest son, who is <laughs> just an, an animal. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he makes me How laugh a lot. He? He's three and a half. Oh, I love yeah, it. Oh my he's gosh, really funny. They're both really split. funny, but he, they're really uh-huh. funny. Three's a really funny, really hard, but like really funny age. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Great, 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 great. Sahar, thank you for your time. Again, thank you for all that you shared with us. I know you're going to just help and bless a lot of people. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Soulful Conversations, a podcast by Soul Sisters, Inc. We are honored that you would continue to support our journey in providing women opportunities to enrich, empower, and evolve through mental health and wellness. We are so grateful for all of the contributors to the podcast who bring their wealth of knowledge to us. You can continue to support us by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at Soul Sisters Org and on Facebook at Soul Sisters Inc. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at soulsisters.org. Thank you for continuing to support us. Take good care. Thank you.